Well, today we will be wrapping up the last part of a series we've been in all summer long called Authentic. And uh, once or twice a year, I really like to go verse by verse through a book of the Bible. And this Authentic series has been verse by verse through the book of James. And uh, we're going to wrap that up today uh, and kind of complete that Authentic series where we've just been basically looking at uh, through the scriptures of, of James and, and finding ways that we can live authentically for our faith uh, as we follow Christ. And so uh, real quick, just I think this is maybe, I don't even, I lose track sometimes, part seven, eight, Emily, seven. She's one of our admins here, so she keeps me in line. Part seven of this series, so where have we been? Well, in the first week, uh, the title in the first week was The Bench Test of the Believer. Uh, um, the, to be bench tested is basically to be put to the test, find out what, what, what pains us, find out where the failure points are, and continue to perfect and uh, continue to um, uh, perfect and, and make us operate better and more efficiently. And before, you know, we're kind of put into mass production. And the bench test of the believer then is what is it? You should know this by now. What is it? It's suffering, that's exactly right. Uh, James, he says it like this, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Some of us, we spend our entire lives avoiding suffering, but yet sometimes suffering is the very thing that God uses to strengthen us. James said it like this, that we would uh, consider it pure joy when we experience trials of many kinds because trials produces perseverance in our lives. Perseverance produces hope, and hope helps us become mature, complete, and not lacking anything. And sometimes people sit in rows of churches for decades and decades and lack spiritual maturity. Maybe you need to suffer a little bit. Have you ever seen people when they return from a missions trip and they've suffered in a third world country and they come back with a brand new perspective? You see, God has a lot to teach us in our suffering. So if you're suffering right now, I just want you to, to give you a good old considerate pure joy that God is training you, he's equipping you, he's making you stronger, he's making you better. And sometimes my prayer has been, God, I don't know if you're trying to kill me or teach me, just do it quickly. <laughs> just do it quickly. And then week two, we talked about the perfect mirror in James 1, 19 through 27. James says, don't be like the foolish man who looked in the mirror, then when he left, he forgot what he looked like. And uh, we look in the mirror to see the parts of us that need groomed, and need, need, maybe we need to brush the hair, you got something stuck in your tooth, and we find those, those things to be groomed in the mirror. Well, the perfect mirror is the Word of God, and it reflects a perfect image, and so we have to align ourselves to the Word of God. And if we are to uh, look into the Word of God and leave unchanged, it would be foolish, the idea is that the word of God, when we read it, it reads us, and, we, and it changes us. It shows us the parts of ourself that is sin and needs dealt with, the perfect mirror. And uh, week three, we asked the question, me? Prejudice? Probably, maybe, and we looked, at, we looked at what James said about some prejudice things in our lives, and, uh, and then we talked about a dying faith, that James says it like this, show me your faith and I'll show you mine by what I do. So we basically said, okay, we're gonna be about deeds over creeds, 
actions over professions. And so a dying faith is a faith that is not doing. A living faith is a doing faith. So if you don't have a doing faith, then you ultimately have a dying faith. Because the moment of salvation was not the finish line, it's the starting line. And we are saved by grace through faith. So we don't work for salvation, but we absolutely go to work from our salvation. And so God has called you to a work, he's called me to a work, and we better have a doing faith if we're going to be authentic. And then we talk about one small spark. It takes one small spark to set a forest fire. When you think about a spark, it is, it is an improportionately powerful thing that one tiny, tiny spark can ignite a forest fire. Well, that tiny spark in us is our mouth, is that we spark with our words. And James says, if you can control the, your mouth, you can control everything. It's like putting bits in the mouths of horses. It's like the small rudder that steers a large ship or a small spark that starts a forest fire. So we talked a lot about, our, about language. We talked about our mouths and how it's just our mouths is corrupt. But in order to start having better talking, we also have to have better thinking. And so then we talked last week about having either wisdom from above or wisdom from below. And then James says that this wisdom from below, this wisdom of the world, is actually demonic. But there is a greater wisdom, a wisdom from above, rooted in humility, grace, and truth that we have to walk in. Now, all of these messages are always archived, newlifeforkokomo.org. You can get caught up in the series if you're maybe new today and that sounds interesting to you. We're going to kind of wrap it up today in chapter 4. Yes, there's five chapters in James, but we're going to wrap it up today in chapter 4. Simply this. Choose your friends wisely. Choose your friends wisely. You know, it's a common expression that we tell, that we tell, uh, uh, we tell young people all the time, to choose your friends wisely. And, and what, what, what you'll hear, I don't, maybe this is probably a very familiar phrase to you, we've said it so many times to young people over the years, is if you show me your friends, then I'll show you your future. So choose your friends wisely. Because ultimately, Every one of us, we, we, we're a bit of a thermometer, and we just acclimate to whatever, whatever environment we are in. And so you have to put yourself in the right environments, and you will acclimate to those environments. So if you, if you choose the wrong crowd, you will likely begin to drift towards that crowd. If you, uh, if you choose to get your family in the church and you, you choose good influences and, and have good assets in your life, then it's, your heart will begin to acclimate to that environment. So choose your friends wisely. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Well, James is going to talk a little bit about, about what we make friends with and how it affects our lives ultimately. Uh, and, and, and so what, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you three things today like I like to. I'm going to talk about the cause of conflict the consequence of conflict, and the cure of conflict. So number one, the cause of conflict. Uh, How many of you have, in the last 30 days, had some kind of conflict in your life? 30 days, right? Uh, How many of you, it seems like conflict follows you no matter where you go? There's this conflict. Uh, All the time, um, you know, I I love love watching, like, some of those city scanner pages on social media as they uh, make posts about, 
kind of real-time things happening in the city, and you, you follow a city scanner page, and you're like, and, and it really kind of opens your eyes to the types of conflicts that can happen around town, and it's uh, it's kind of intriguing. Uh, but but there's certainly con- there is there is no limit to the types and and quantities of conflicts that are happening in our world. There's, uh, think about when you travel, and uh, I mean, we, you see um, uh, road rage, and you see conflicts in the stores. And uh, last night, I was at a gas station getting a propane refill, and, and I, I couldn't help but notice that there was this couple sitting in a car at the gas station, and they were deep into conflict. I almost felt like saying, hi, guys, my name's Pastor Devin, and... Uh, <laughs> Sounds like you need to make a meeting with me, <laughs> you know? Uh, just, just absolutely just hard after it in, in conflict. Uh, and, and so James talks a little about this conflict in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, like, w- w- what is it that does this? Why so much conflict? What causes these fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So what is the cause of conflict? It's you. He says it comes from within you. you you're the problem of your conflict. And, and not only that, you become conflict to other people. It's you. So the real conflict is not the conflict we, you see on the outside. The real conflict is the conflict in you, there is a conflict happening on the inside of you. It is an ex- the conflict on the outside is simply an expression of the insecurities that you have on the inside. It's actually just a manifestation of distress and anxiety that you're experiencing on the inside. The conflict within you is actually, the, the root of it is actually maybe the fact that you just have some selfishness tendencies that you need to deal with. You might, maybe you struggle with the root of anger and resentment in your heart and unforgiveness. The true conflict isn't the conflict. The true conflict is an, inter, an inner conflict within us. It's our own pride and arrogance and anger and jealousy and rage and lust. It is the sin within that is the cause of conflict. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? The real cause of conflict? It's you. It's me. It's the sin within. So the conflict in you manifests in the conflict around you. And for those that always seem to think, conflict conflict follows me everywhere I go. At work, at home, on the road, in the neighborhood, at church. Man, people just have a serious problem in this world. (laughs) You're right. People do have a serious problem You are people. (laughs) The conflict in you manifests in the conflict around you. So if you live your life on the edge of stress and anxiety, you will likely find conflict around you. If you live with an inner desire uh, uh, for, for satisfaction and 
through sin, you will likely experience conflict around you because the conflict in you manifests in the conflict around you. So when James is going to, he's talking about conflict and we think about the conflict between two people. But actually he's saying, no, the conflict between two people like, is one thing, but the root of it is the conflict in you, and that is the sin within. If we deal with the sin within, well, then the kingdom on the inside begins to manifest on the outside. But the sin within causes conf- the conflict within becomes the conflict around. This is what he says in the second verse. He says, you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. Where, do, where does desire, where, where, where does desire live? Desire lives within. This place called desire was within. You desire, you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you fight. You quarrel, you fight, you argue. You do not have because you do not ask God. In other words, what he's saying is you have a legitimate need, but you're trying to meet it in an illegitimate way. You, you, you have, you do not have because you do not ask God, and you're seeking for that fulfillment somewhere else. You're, the, 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 the lust problem you have, the envy problem you have, the jealousy problem you have, what you're seeking for, you don't have it because you're not asking God. You're trying to find it in the ways of this world. And so then he says this, and when you ask, you don't receive because you don't ask with the right motives. You ask with wrong motives. Oh, God. I, let me tell you a quick story. One time, um, I was on a missions trip. I was, I was in Haiti uh, for an entire week, and we, and we were in Haiti. We were helping build. Um, I was there with Convoy of Hope on a field team, and we were helping build a school for children um, that was a part of an Assemblies of God church in Haiti. And these kids would come every day um, for school. The only reason they came for school is because they knew they got a meal at the end. And so, so we, we were helping build the school. We were helping feed the kids while we were there. And we stayed on this compound in Haiti and for a whole week. And uh, this is where we ate and things like that. And uh, every, every meal, it felt like every lunch and every dinner, we always had chicken creole. And it is this chicken and rice type meal. Um, bland uh, chicken uh, where there's not a lot of meat on the bone. And you see a lot of chickens running around, and then every day we're there, you see less chickens running around. <laughs> sometimes in the chicken creole, they, it's not chicken, sometimes it's goats. And uh, in, in, the, in the country of Haiti, they don't have a trash management system. And so when you drive around, which by the way, the traffic there is insane. I was scared for my life. There, is, there are no traffic laws, and there's no trash management system, and so you just see trash piled up on the sidewalks, trash piled up along the streets, trash piled up on the corner, and goats rummaging through the trash. And then at dinner time, we're having goat and rice, and I'm thinking about what I've been watching goats eat all week long. One morning after our time of devotions with our team, we were walking to the diner that we had at this compound for lunch, for, for a meal, and, and I just, out of just like this inner struggle of near starvation and tired of chicken creole, I said, I have seen what they have in that kitchen, and I know for a fact 
we could make pancakes. And I'm just salivating, right? And I'm like, and I, I'm, I'm almost annoyed. I'm like, we could make pancakes, guys. And uh, so as I'm getting closer to the dining hall, uh, someone from our team runs out of the dining hall, flings the screen door open, Pastor Devin, Pastor Devin, you're not gonna believe it. I'm like, what? And they're like, pancakes. I'm like, don't you mess with me, man. Don't toy with my emotions right now. And sure enough, I felt like I spoke pancakes into existence. <laughs> so I walk in the dining hall and I see pancakes. And I say, Wendy's four for four. Taco Bell. I'm like trying to speak other things into existence, you know. <laughs> air conditioning, in Jesus' name, air conditioning. And, and uh, I, I realized I was, I was the one asking. I did not have because I was asking with wrong motives. That, that's, my, that's my funny story about asking and not receiving. I never received uh, any of those things, but I did get the pancakes, and they were amazing. Can I just say, probably the best ca- pancakes I've ever had after all of the chicken and goat that we had ate that week. Oh, my goodness. But have you ever asked and not received? I think, I think we all would. Um, when I was 12, 13 years old, and I was on the worship team at our church, uh, I, I was, uh, there's, there's a popular worship leader in that time out of Nashville. His name was Danny Chambers. I don't know if you've ever heard of Danny Chambers. Uh, he wasn't super well known, but he came and did our youth convention when I was a teenager. And Danny Chambers had a soprano saxophone player on his team. And I don't know why, but I was just floored by that. I had never heard of soprano sax before. I just thought it was, it was awesome. And the way this guy flowed, it was amazing. So when I went home, I began to pray every day, God, I want you to, I want a soprano sax. I will learn, I will teach myself, I will learn how to play that thing. And, I, I, and then eBay was like a new, brand new thing. I saw one on eBay for like $700. I'm like, God, you could do it, you could do it. And, uh, and I'm like, there, there's people in our church that you could put it on their heart. And, and so here I am, this, I'm this like preteen, and I'm just like begging God for a, a soprano saxophone. And uh, I never got it. <laughs> I never got it. So I think we all at some point in our life have, have asked God, and we've even said, your word says if we ask that we shall receive, and I want a new house and a new car, and I want this taken care of, I want, I want freedom financially, and we ask and we don't receive. And maybe I'm the only one here that's done that. But sometimes we ask and we don't receive. Sometimes, maybe, it's because we ask with wrong motives. And, and, and here's what James says. You ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. We ask with wrong motives because deep down, again, there is desire. Where does our conflict come from? Desire within. And out of that desire within, we are now asking God to fulfill those desires. With what? In a way that we can spend what he gives us on our own pleasures. And so if, if that has ever been you, and, and, and again, there, the, the, it's more complex than just wrong motives, right? If we ask for things, we don't get them. Like there's things we don't know. But what is the conflict? The conflict is the sin within and, uh, and, and asking God. So maybe in, start asking God in our prayers, God, would you grant me, would you give me whatever pleases you? 
if our prayers would be that God would give us what pleases him and not us. And if I would tell you that that is really what prayer is. Jesus says, when, and when you pray, don't pray like the pagans do. Don't pray like them, for, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Also, when you pray, um, I already know what you need before you ask. So in prayer, when I read that, I was like, okay, Jesus, you've left me with nothing. You mean prayer isn't about my words, and prayer is not about asking you for things? Well, then what is prayer? Prayer, then, Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer is not about asking. It's not about our words. Prayer is more about aligning our hearts to the will of God. And if through prayer we align ourselves with God, well, then our motives are whatever pleases your heart, God. Whatever you want for my life, I surrender to that. And whether you deliver on what I think I need and want or not, I just want you to know, God, I'm just pleased that, that you're my God. Have your way in me. Alignment is the, really the, 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 the point of prayer. So start asking God for whatever pleases him and not us. So I had to start, stop praying for a saxophone. That was going to please me. Maybe you got to stop praying for that Shelby Cobra that I had to give up many years ago praying for. It's like, Lord, just a Shelby Cobra. I will follow you all my life if I had a Shelby Cobra. <laughs> the reality is, God, I'll follow you all my life if I have nothing. Because to have you is to be rich. If I have you, that's all I need. For you are the good shepherd. And uh, in you, I lack no thing. I lack nothing. You lead me beside quiet waters. You lead me into green pastures. You restore my soul. Because if, I tried, if you try to fill your soul with things of the world, you will ultimately live in, in angst and disaster and turmoil. So prayer is alignment. So you ask, but you don't have because you ask with wrong motives because you'll spend what you get on your pleasures. So the cause of conflict is the sin within. Well, what about the consequence of conflict? Because as you know, there is consequence to the conflict. And what's the conflict? The sin within is the conflict. That's what James says in the fourth verse. He says, you adulterous people. Adulterous. He's saying, you people that continuously have an affair on me. Yeah, that's us. This is actually uh, illustrated over and over in the Old Testament of how adulterous the people of God are. The book of Hosea is exactly about this. Hosea was a prophet of God, and God told him that he wanted Hosea to go marry a prostitute woman. And so he did. He had to go purchase this woman, marry her. They had a family. But she would leave Hosea over and over to go back to the red light district. And God used that as an illustration to say, and that is just like my people that are unfaithful and adulterous to me. Every time they choose the ways of this world, they are having an affair on me. And the relationship we have with God is a covenant. 
We, we talked about it when we took communion this morning, that there was a new covenant in his blood. So we have a covenant agreement. We have this, this, this relationship with God. And really throughout, throughout a lot of scripture, this, this relationship with God is an ongoing marriage between us and God. And when we run after other lovers of this world, it is adulterous. And so James says, you adulterous people, you people that have been unfaithful to God, you've cheated on God, you've ran after your own desires, the sin within, and the consequence of chasing other desires in illegitimate ways instead of God. And then he says, he says don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Some versions say friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Think about it. He says, you adulterous people, friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And can you blame them? The world. What is being friends with the world? Well, Pastor Devin, aren't we, aren't we supposed to reach the world? Absolutely. What James is talking about here is making friendship with ungodly things. This is, this is being friendly with sin. Oh, it's just a little dabble, but it's hatred towards God. And if we can recognize again the severity of the sin within the severity of flirting with worldly desires. That desire within is, is only is reserved for our relationship with God and, and his ways and his principles. And when, we use, and when those desires run a little wild and we begin flirting with the desires of the world and we connect it with anger, we connect it with jealousy and envy and pride and arrogance and lust and sexual desire and we use it in an illegitimate way, that friendship with the world is an affair against God. It's hatred towards God. And, and, and it says that, that um, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend, listen, sin is a choice. A choice that we, we have to wholeheartedly and with focus choose to refrain from. We have to exercise the muscle of resisting temptation. And if we can, re, if we can like, reevaluate how we think about flirting with the ways of the world and realize that the real consequence of flirting with sin is that it breaks God's heart. And if the, if the real consequence of sin is that we are ultimately having an affair against God, maybe we'll, we'll, maybe we'll have a heightened sensitivity towards the temptations in our life and realize the real consequence in what it hurts. Because, because men, if, if some woman threw herself at you today, are you willing to lay down your entire family's legacy and your entire years of faithfulness with your spouse, are you willing to lay that all down for one go with that woman? I would hope not. I would hope you would choose your legacy through your family over that one go. 
But yet God is alluding the same thing. He's saying, you adulterous people, you've been having affairs on me when you make friends with my enemies, when you make friends with sin. And so the, the consequence, what's the consequence of the conflict within? Well, it's the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Romans talks about the wrath of God in our world and that, that God will allow you to suffer the consequences of your choices. That's the wrath of God. And the ultimate consequence of the sin within, should it rule your life, is to spend eternity with complete separation from God. That's torture. Let me tell you, that would be complete torture. The consequence of the conflict. Friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Think of it like this. As adulterous people, James says, unfaithful over and over, it'd be as though if you were in a marriage and your spouse was unfaithful, but they kept a friendship with them afterward, how would that make you feel? If your spouse is unfaithful, but then, oh, forgive me, I was unfaithful, you reconcile, but they still have lunch together. It's just a, it's just a friendship, though. Like, it's not, we're, it's not really cheating. It's just a friendship. Oh, we just text a little bit every day, but it's just, it's just a friendship. How would it make you feel to know that the one that your spouse was unfaithful with, that they still had a friendship with? And God is saying, I'm uncomfortable with you having friendships with the things that you cheated on me with. The consequence of the conflict and the sin within. So, friendship with the one you had an affair with angers the one that you pledged allegiance to. And that's how God feels. And that's heavy, isn't it? That's heavy. But I hope only not to discourage, but to encourage you today to have a heightened sense of the sin within. That's the true conflict. Not only does it, the conflict within it manifests in the conflict around, but, but there's true consequence to that and that God will let you suffer the consequences of your poor choices, but ultimately, it affects our relationship with God. So someone has to burn some bridges to some things in their life and put that desire back on God again. And as heavy as all of that was, I want you to know that James doesn't just leave us there. But the third thing is, is that there is a cure for the conflict. There's a cure for that conflict within, the sin within. In the sixth verse, James says, but, there's, there's a shift here, but he gives us more grace. So after that constant adulterous behavior that God's people have had for eons of time, God somehow in his holiness still offers us more grace. And, and, and that, just in that alone, I just envision that he has more grace than I have in poor decisions. Like, like his grace can actually, is so much more that I can't out-sin his grace. 
but I do have to choose it. Just like I could choose friendship with the world, the moment I'm willing to choose God, he, he still has enough grace for me. He still has enough grace for you. It doesn't matter how time, many times you've messed up, how many times you've repeated the offense, how many affairs that you've had on God by making friendship with things of the world. He still has more grace for you. That's so good. And that is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. He shows favor to the one that says, humbles themselves before God and says, I am in need of grace. I'm in need of forgiveness. And the seventh verse says this. Here's the cure. You want the cure to the conflict within? This is it. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Unfortunately, so many of us have tried to do this backwards. We submit to our friendship with the world and resist God. And we wonder why we're living in hell. We're wondering why we're experiencing conflict. We're wondering why we're struggling. But the root is this. The real cure is submit yourselves then to God in all humility and resist the devil and he will flee from there is an activity in the authentic believer's life that is a resist the things that want to attach itself to you you're going to resist jealousy and anger you're going to resist lust you're going to resist selfishness resist the devil he will flee if you've submitted yourselves then first to god Romans 5, 9 is what it says. It's, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him being Jesus? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You want the real cure? The real cure to the conflict within is to draw nearer to God. Draw near to God. Submit yourselves then first to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. And the last verse in James that we'll read in this entire series is this. James 4, 8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Now wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Here's the thing. If you come to God, he'll meet you there. But then, you gotta get rid of all the pictures of your old girlfriends. You gotta, you gotta delete those numbers out of your phone and delete the, and block those things. In other words, he's saying, Get rid of all that stuff that came in between you and me. I don't want you to have, be friends with it. It tore us apart. It broke our covenant relationship. I want you to get rid of it. So I want you to wash your hands from all that sin that you did. Just We're going to wash it up. We're going to purify your heart. We're going to be good. So when you come to God, you can't keep the old stuff. 
Because why would we? Why would we? Why would we say, God, I know I cheated on you and I want to be good with you, but I just want you to know that like once a week, I'm still going to go out, you know. No, he says, no, we're, gonna, we're just going to wash. Well, I'm going to give you a fresh start. We're going to clean it up, but you've got to get all that stuff gone. You've got to get it gone. You've got to get it gone. So any help we need in living authentically, and all the seven parts of the series, all the help we need in living authentically, it starts with this. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. So no matter the circumstance in your life, whether you're facing difficulty, maybe you, there's ungroomed areas, prejudice, sin within, your first step is to draw near to God. Draw near. You can do that today by taking a step of faith in drawing near to God today. I know I've told this story many times, but it's a great illustration that years and years ago, there was an old couple retired in their 70s. They had the same pickup truck that they had when they got married in their 20s. Five-window pickup, bench seat. When they, in their early 20s, when this couple first got married, he would obviously be in the driving, driver's seat, and she would sit in the middle right next to him. They would drive around town, his arm around her, and, and one hand on the steering wheel. And now retired with the same pickup truck, she's over in the passenger seat, he's in the driver's seat, and she says, dear do you remember when we first got this truck and I would sit in the middle and you would have your arm around me? And he said, yes, dear, I remember. She said, why don't we do that anymore? And he says, well, I haven't moved. I'm not the one who moved. And how many of us, our prayers go, God, I just don't feel it like I used to feel it. God, I just, I don't believe like I maybe I used to believe. So where are you at? And God says, I've not gone anywhere. So your first step is to draw near back to God. You can draw near and still have questions. You can draw near and still feel like you don't have prayers that were answered. You can draw near and maybe still have some doubts, but the first step is to draw near to God. I'm just wondering if someone here this morning is ready to slide back over on that bench a little closer to God and feel his embrace again. Would you stand to your feet this morning? God, there's a real problem, and it's the sin within. It's the source of conflict in our lives. It's the source of conflict for eternity. It's causing separation between people, ultimately separation between us and our Heavenly Father. And God, I'm just so thankful that even in the midst of our adulterous selves, that there is more grace for us. That we can't out your grace. 
all we have to do is draw near again in humility and submission and confession of our wrongdoing and you will make us whole again. And so I, I just think that this morning, church, that, that we just, there might, everyone needs to take a moment this morning just to maybe in the quietness of your own heart, you gotta confess some stuff. God, I've not been faithful in these areas in my life. I continue to lean upon my own abilities. I continue to fall back into unforgiveness against this person. I continue to host resentment against them. I, I continue to struggle with anger and rage. Lord, I continue to, to battle lust and sexual desire in my life. Whatever it may be, God, I just confess to you that of the ways that I've not been faithful. But today, I just, God, would you just accept me and would you show me grace because you're really what I want. And, and I want to resist all of those things. But first, I want to draw closer to you. Would you forgive me? And church, he will. And draw near and begin to build up the strength in your life to resist the things. So God, today, we just confess. Lord, we confess our friendship with the world. Would you forgive us? Would you help uh, wash our hands and uh, purify our hearts as we draw near to you this morning? Help us, Lord, with, with wisdom now to know how to build a framework around us of relationships and accountabilities and, 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 to be, and to devour your word, that we will look into the perfect mirror and continue to see that what is ungroomed and unkept in us, and we can continue to align ourselves to your ways, we pray that we could be a church that is living and walking authentically in our faith, doers of our faith, not dying faith. Relationship with God, not friendship with ungodly things of this world. Help us, God, to live authentically today in Jesus' name. And if you're here today and, you're, and you would say, I, need to, I, I have to take that first step of faith and, and, and move towards God, if that is you today, and you want to, even with questions, even with doubts, but you're ready to say, I know I need to make a change in my life, and I know it has to start with God. If that's you today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can use my words, or you can, you can pray in your own way, but it just has to just make it sound something like this. God, I know that I have not been following you, or even following you in the ways I, th I know I should. But would you forgive me? And I'm ready to start a new journey today, and I know it starts with you. So would you forgive me of all of my past and my mistakes? Give me a fresh chance today. Would you come into my heart? Would you show me the way? And I just submit myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the Bible says that he is faithful and just. That if we confess with our mouths, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And if you prayed a prayer like that, that just happened for you too. Can we celebrate with those today that made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of their lives? Amen? Amen.